This is Closer to the Fire with a focus on the persecuted church. I'm Greg Musselman. For over a half century, the Voice of the Martyrs Canada has been serving the persecuted church. And I've often told people, one of the strengths that we have as a ministry is the partnerships that we share with like-minded people around the world. And my guest is certainly one of those people. Now, before I introduce him, I'd like to just give you a kind of a background of how I met Ray Thorne. It was back in 1999, I was pastoring a church in Winnipeg, and I was doing a new segment on a Christian television program called It's a New Day, which was broadcasting across Canada. Now, often I had stories about the followers of Jesus being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Now, during that time, our church invited Glenn Penner of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada to come and share about the persecuted church with our congregation and also other people in the community and about the work of VOM Canada. Then a few weeks later, Glenn invited me to join him and a team to travel to South Sudan and gather stories about the situation facing Christians in that African nation. The team leader was Ray Thorne of the Voice of the Martyrs in the U.S. Now, that was in January of 2000 that we went to South Sudan. And to say it was an eye-opening experience would be an understatement. It was heartbreaking. So many tragic stories, but also some amazing stories of faith. Ray has been partnering with VOM Canada for the past eight years and is currently serving in the Middle East. Ray, welcome to Closer to the Fire. Hello, Greg. It's good to see you again. It's been a while since we've traveled together, but I always enjoy your programs and sharing about the persecuted church around the world. Yeah, some of my favorite trips, Ray, is traveling with you. Uh, uh, we call you Raybo. Uh, you just go into these areas. You love the people, and uh, you bring the gospel. I just love your heart and passion for God's kingdom and for uh, God's people. Now, I want to talk about some of the places that you've been. Uh, we mentioned South Sudan, Ethiopia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, and you've worked with believers suffering for their faith for many years. So, But before we get into that, how is it that you joined the Voice of the Martyrs in the U.S.? Well, in 1997, I, was, uh, I took a voluntary trip to southern Sudan, and uh, the purpose of the trip was to help uh, persecuted Christians that were isolated in an area called the Nuba Mountains. It was a no-fly zone. No one was allowed to get in there, and uh, through God's miraculous ways, we were able to get there and bring supplies to the Christians of that region. Yeah, and that trip was very dangerous at times as well, because you were under attack with a guy named Kevin Turner, who was working with VOM US at that time. And in many ways, that put VOM US and then, of course, our other partner organizations on the map in terms of international coverage. Tell me about what happened on that trip and how is it that uh, you really became known and you and Kevin and then also the Ministry of Voice of the Martyrs US? Well, it's uh, an amazing story, uh, one that I would, I would never have believed would have happened. Uh, we landed into the, an area called the Nuba Mountains to br right. bring relief supplies and some Bibles. And about a half hour after we landed there, two Russian hind helicopter gunships came into our distribution. Wow. And they uh, unloaded rockets and 50 cal machine guns uh, on, our, on the people of that region. And in that attack, 26 people were killed. And even I was facing uh, down the barrels of uh, 50 cal machine gun bullets flying all around. And I remember that, that moment, I was just 
just talking with Jesus. It was kind of a surreal, slow motion kind of a event. And I said, Jesus, is this the day that I come to meet you? Mm. And then um, later, uh, the gunship took off. And then we ran into the mountains. And we were in that mountain region for nine days. Wow. So when you were facing that, you know, potential death, uh, were you thinking about your family? Uh, I think at that time you had a, a grandchild. Uh, did, did that come into your mind or were you just thinking like, I just, I got to get out of here or maybe it's time to go see the Lord? Uh, really, I was just single focused on talking to the Lord Jesus. Hmm. And I just asked him, Lord, is this the time I come to meet you? And of course, my family's always in the back of my mind and stuff. But at that particular moment, it was it was really a facing death kind of a moment. And uh, probably the most incredible aspect of this, because this story really isn't about me or our team. It's about the Sudanese who were under attack yeah. for many years by radical Islamic regime, Omar al-Bashir and he was forcing Islamic principles and abducting children and killing men and stuff like that. So we we came to see firsthand what was happening to the to the believers of that region. And when we asked them what they thought about us coming and the attack and just the, the scenario that unfolded before our eyes, I said, are you angry at us? Do you not like us? What do you think? And they said, on the contrary, we are very excited and thankful that you came because somebody from the West first time saw with their eyes what's happening to us Sudanese people here in the Nuba Mountains. Yeah, it was a tragic situation. Of course, it, you know, it still goes on even to this day. Uh, I think there were, at, at, when we went, there were somewhere around 2 million people had been killed. Uh, church leaders had been killed. One of the reasons we went uh, was also to do some teaching and encouragement. Uh, of course, bringing blankets and supplies. And I remember all the different things that we were bringing to help them because literally infrastructure had been destroyed uh, by the uh, Sudan, Sudanese government in the north. And a tragic, tragic situation. But we went in there, Ray. And again, for me, this was my first time into Africa and into being in a very remote place. Uh, it, you know, kind of bends the mind a little bit. I know you've had more experience up to that point than I had. But to meet the people and to hear their stories, I was doing interviews, uh, a lot of tears. There was a lot of emotion going on. And I know, and I recently shared this, and I've shared this many times, for me, one of the biggest things that really was a watershed moment and changed just the way I thought about, you know, even God's plan for my life was when the believers, these, you know, training leaders that we were doing is said, you know, we now know that we are not forgotten. And I remember looking up into the African sky ray and just thinking, is it possible that God has got these Canadians and Americans coming here to encourage our brothers and sisters? And yes, we bring Bibles, we bring supplies, we bring hope. But is that something that has kind of kept you going, Ray, when you think about the fact that often it's just us, our presence being there, not that we're special, but that we've come from another place saying we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we care about you? Well, you know, often when we're in nations where persecution is, is uh, relevant or where it's happening, um, when we tell them about the voice of the martyrs and what we do, they say, really? There's a ministry that helps and uh, responds to persecuted people and you care about us to come 
and meet with us and help us even in very dangerous situations and regions. You come and you uh, fellowship with us. And we call it uh, the fellowship of suffering and, and just coming alongside these beautiful people and just letting them know that, yes, Americans and Canadians and people in, in the free West care about you. They pray for you and they support you in, in many different ways, including financially. When you look at that situation in South Sudan, of course, it was a, a you know, big focus of the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, not only the U.S., but Canada and our other partners around the world. Ray, did, did you feel that there was significant impact made because of the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs helping these brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes, it was a huge impact. Um, I can remember uh, when I was sitting with the leaders of the Nuba Mountains, and I asked them, what can we do in response to what we just witnessed? And they said, please go back and tell the world and the free West what's happening to us. Right. And so for the next three years, our, we had sent out speakers, and especially me in many different parts of the world. I would be speaking, say, in uh, the Netherlands, and I spoke in Australia and uh, New Zealand and many other countries, sharing about the plight of the persecuted people in Sudan. And the response was tremendous. We had a, uh, a, uh, a relief pack that we offered to our donors or constituents, and they gave liberally to that just to, in response to whatever they could do, with it, not only pray, but to give physically for our brothers and sisters. Of course, since we were there, Ray, uh, South Sudan has become its own country. It's mostly uh, Christian, Black in the South, and you've got uh, Sudan, the country, which is Arab and Muslim. Uh, and, you know, now South Sudan has its own country, but there's also been conflict, uh, you know, tribal conflict and all that kind of thing. What are you hearing about what's happening currently in South Sudan? I have limited understanding now because it's been many years since I've worked in that country, but I do know that uh, the northern areas have become open. And since Omar al-Bashir is, is taken out, uh, there's been a new openness for churches to reopen. And uh, they're very excited to be able to worship openly and freely. So for me, that's uh, you know a step forward. And we always and we know that all these types of countries always have like intertribal conflicts, and this is true in many countries. So, you know, but but for the believers of that region, this new openness has really been a blessing uh, for this country. So we rejoice over that. Yeah, and and I think that when we look at it, yes, the tribal things are happening, but there is certainly more freedom in South Sudan. There has been a lot of problems. Uh, we hear about it in the news, and, and of course, we need to continue to pray for South Sudan. It's not as much in the news, or at least to focus as much for the Voice of the Martyrs, but it's certainly a country that we certainly care about. We have lots of relationships there, and we will continue to pray and, and support in whatever ways we can. Now, the interesting thing about the trip that we took in January of 2000 is that we kind of had a forced stop in Ethiopia. And, and I remember, uh, you know, being very anxious. Come on, we, we, you know, we're in Addis Ababa. 
and now we can't travel across you know the the land border because there's a war going on between Eritrea and Ethiopia we had to stay in the country fly to Kenya fly to a place called Lokachokio in Kenya and then drive into South Sudan but during those three days Ray and, and I, I'm sure you remember this well I, and I know I do because my first trip there is that we had these extra days in Ethiopia, and it's there that we met a young man, we'll call him Joshua, and he's a good friend of ours now living in Canada, uh, but he introduced us to persecuted believers in Ethiopia, which was not on the, you know, the voice of the martyrs map in terms of persecuted nations, but we heard many stories, and that led to our work in Ethiopia. And, and so I learned something very much uh, from you at that time. I don't know if you remember saying this, but, you know, let's just pretend that God is in control. Because I felt like, okay, like, let's just get in there. We got, you know, these blankets. We got to get in and help the people of South Sudan. And yet that led to an amazing work in Ethiopia. Is that something when you think about, you know, the times that there's these delays and there's, you know, unexpected things happen that, Perhaps the Lord is guiding and leading to other things that he wants to accomplish? Yes, I absolutely believe in uh, divine appointments. I have a very good friend, a pastor friend, a, a beloved brother. He said, every delay is of the Lord. And uh, that, that when we think of that kind of uh, thought, uh, many times we think it's the devil or Satan's preventing us from doing something. But as God's people... Trusting in God's direction, his timing. Uh, many times we just have to just kind of wait on the Lord and see what develops. And many times some amazing things uh, transpire just by being resting in the Lord, being patient. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then ministry shows up. It does. And, you know, that led to a long-term relationship with uh, our friend Joshua, who now actually lives in the same city that I do. And and I was saying to him recently, you know, we met in 2000. And who would have thought that your third daughter and my third daughter would be born in the same hospital in Canada and that your older two kids would go to the same school that my older two kids go to? And, and we traveled all over uh, Ethiopia because I took a number of trips into there and we traveled all over right up to the north part of the country. And then we went on a ministry trip together to do a speaking engagement uh, here in Alberta. And here we are driving through the mountains, you know, going out to a place called Banff and it's snowing out. And I'm thinking, man, God has just got the way that he pulls things together. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it's been great learning experience for a guy like me that doesn't always have the most patience. So it's been, a, it's been a real joy. Now, another country that we traveled together uh, that we still follow very closely is Pakistan. How did you get involved there? And just tell me some of the things that you've seen over the years in that nation. Well, during uh, the 2000 era, uh, my regional director came to me and he said, Ray, uh, you know, I think it's time we're going to pull you out of Africa. And he said, do you have a nation in mind that you would like to serve in? Without hesitation, I said, Pakistan. And he said, well, why Pakistan? I said, because I've been praying for that nation for a number of years. Uh, it's on my heart. The Lord had put it there. And so he said, okay, go ahead and make your plans and, and uh, begin to develop that country. 
Pakistan is a country where there is just so much persecution against the church, Christians attacked, uh, you know, accused, you know, false charges of blasphemy and the rest of it. But Ray, the thing that really, you know, tugs at our heart, and I know you're a father of daughters, I'm a father of daughters and granddaughters, is the kidnapping of Christian girls or the sexual abuse of uh, Christian girls. I mean, how have you been able to go into that situation? I know when we traveled there with uh, your former wife, uh, who's now passed on, uh, you know, to hear these stories and and not get consumed by anger. Well, um, the Bible teaches us to, to be angry and sin not. And I think there's a righteous anger that we carry within us. I think it's the justice that God, uh, the the foundation of, of God's throne is justice. And so I think as believers, we carry this justice paradigm within us to see uh, good things or at least w- women who can um, live in an area w- without being abused and attacked is something that's very close to us. I remember one time there was a young lady, uh, a young Christian woman. She was very beautiful. And I met many of them, of course, that were had, had acid thrown in their faces because they denied the sexual advances of a of a radical Muslim, or uh, they were house cleaners, and the the man of the home had lustful eyes and would abduct them and rape them, and then they would be falsely accused by the house owner. They would be taken to the police to be held over for a day or two. And then the police would go in and rape the women as well. So, I mean, everywhere they go, the Christians are treated as second and third class citizens. And when you hear these innocent children, uh, when I say children, 16, 17 year old girls, you know, they're virgin girls. And then all of a sudden they're just raped multiple times over a short period of time and just completely traumatized. And when you see that and you hear that, um, they've they've been damaged. Um, how has the voice of the martyrs been able to help some of these girls uh, beyond some of the physical needs uh, that they have? And some, and as you mentioned, uh, I remember a girl named Golnez who had the the acid thrown in her face. How do you help them rebuild their lives uh, and and to get them healthy again? In the case of Golnez, uh, she was a beautiful woman in a working environment, the guy made an advance. She re, she rejected his offer. Later that day, he came in with a container full of acid and just threw it in her face, melted all one of her eyes. Her whole face was disfigured. And so we came and um, the family really had to go on the run. They were in hiding. Well, we came in there, met with her. We prayed with her as a team. We encouraged her and we helped them relocate. Uh, we had we rebuilt a home for them. And um, yeah, we replaced all of their kitchenware and sleeping beds and things like that. We took care of that. But uh, in those days, uh, it began, it, the idea came to me that we need to respond more than just the physical response that we need to deal with the emotional and psychological things, mm-hmm. the trauma that these young people are, are working with. So then as time went on, we began to develop uh, trauma response team 
that would help many of these people and spend time with them and uh, help them work through the traumas that they've experienced. Yeah, and it's such an important part of uh, the work of the Voice of the Martyrs uh, and other organizations like Open Doors and Christian Solidarity Worldwide and all those that work with persecuted Christians is the emotional trauma. Uh, you know, especially if they have been sexually assaulted or beat up and, you know, just so many issues that they're dealing with. And I'm so grateful that, you know, we've been able to help there. Uh, and, and I know when I read the stories, even a, re, you know, a recent story of a, a young lady that was kidnapped in Pakistan. Now, fortunately, they, they were able to get her back after nine days. Originally, the police didn't do anything. And often that is the case. But this particular situation, uh, the community really pressured the police and and she was, uh, you know, was recovered. Uh, the guy that did it, who already had two or three wives, he's fled. But you know that she was there for nine days and the things would happen. And it can destroy lives. And so when I hear these stories, uh, and that's why I tell people we need to be praying for what's going on in Pakistan and other countries. And that's why I say we need to know. That's why we say, you know, with the persecution and prayer alert that we have, hear the stories, see their names, some cases, see their faces and pray for them. And if we can help through our partners, we will certainly do that. There are so many girls in Pakistan. I think I read the other day, it's about a thousand uh, Christian girls because they're minorities. Often they don't have, uh, you know, the legal means to be able to, you know, go through the courts and all the rest of it. A thousand girls can imagine every year that are in these situations. Uh, it's it's absolutely heartbreaking and it's horrible. Uh, that's why we have to have an eternal perspective to some of these things because uh, it's just so difficult to even think about and then what they're going through and then their families and of course in Nigeria and other nations where this goes on and on and on. So Ray, personally, and I want to talk about Afghanistan in a second, but uh, from your perspective and your wife, Denise, when you're hearing so many of these heartbreaking stories, how are you able to cope with it? I'd like to share uh, another testimony because not all of the uh, situations are uh, sexual, sexually abuse or sexual abuse cases. Um, there was many times uh, we meet evangelists and uh, gospel workers who are being attacked for their bold witness for Christ in these very uh, difficult uh, Islamic strongholds. I remember one man, he was a church planter, and I lived in a little one room, and one night he was watching the Jesus movie. He was an active evangelist in this region, and a radical came into his room, and at close range, uh, brought in a shotgun and took his face off. And his, and the, uh, the, the wife and her son uh, physically watched their daddy being blown away by the shotgun. And I remember almost more than a year later, this woman was still traumatized. Yeah. And um, that's really was a turning point for me to begin to understand that they, we really need to be addressing the trauma issue. But um, the other idea that I want to share is, is that, you know, as these men, women who are bold to share the gospel, you know, they know it's dangerous. They know they're going to be persecuted. They know that they're subject to torture or even martyrdom. But yet they continue to share the faith with uh, their faith with their people. And one of the brothers said one time when I said, well, don't you think 
this is too dangerous and what is your thought? He said, well, these are my people. He says, I need to share the gospel with my people. He says, how can I know the truth of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life and look around and watch my whole nation just not really know the Lord or not know him at all and watch them go to hell? He said, I I have to share the gospel. And I think we call that the martyr spirit and not in the sense where you want to die and you've got a martyrdom complex, but that you, you have this spirit where you says, Jesus is the most important thing to me and his kingdom and eternal life. And that spirit, um, it energizes them or empowers them to go do these kinds of things. And uh, I just think that kind of faith is something that all of us in the West could learn from and as an example, we could grow from. No, totally agree with that. And and thank you for, you know, bringing, you know, that side of the persecuted church stories in there, because, you know, we do hear the violence and and the trauma, the suffering, and, and certainly uh, we'll continue to address those. Uh, you know, I, I was recently in Nigeria and, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of children, thousands and maybe even more than that, that that have suffered incredibly because they're Christians, mainly from the northern part of the country. Uh, but there's also incredible faith. And that's the things that we have to remember. It's kind of Book of Acts Christianity. There's intense persecution, but the kingdom of God is moving forward by force. And, and we have to remind that. And also remind the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's the church advancing. And that's so many of the people that you and I have met, Ray, over the years that the reason the persecution is happening is because they are advancing the gospel. And uh, we, you know, we can learn so much from uh, our brothers and sisters that are suffering because, you know, we get into this prosperity gospel or an easy believism or whatever, and that this helps to root us in what is, what is true Christianity? What is it to follow Jesus? Now, a country I know that's also, you know, really on your heart is Afghanistan. Uh, you've been there. Uh, you have been with the believers there. Uh, you've seen over the last 20 years, like all of us, uh, you know, the church is growing because there was um, some measure of freedom. I mean, Afghanistan was still like the second uh, on the list of the World Watch list there of, uh, of persecuted nations, still dangerous. But there was a growth in the church. The uh, uh, Taliban comes in last summer uh, and and retakes over, and of course, all their you know radical Islamic ideas. Ray, what was your thoughts when you saw that the Taliban had retaken the country and then forcing all their Islamic laws on the people there? Because there had been such uh, progress, at least that's the way it was moving. And now, you know, the Taliban is in control and many people have fled the country, including Christians. So, so what was what was your feeling when you saw that happen? Certainly, all of us who were watching were very disappointed at the way uh that things had taken place in Afghanistan. But we have to go back and, and think or believe through the eyes of our creator. And we have to look at the fact that the church belongs to him. And um, even in very difficult situations, I believe, we believe that, that the Lord is guiding, leading, growing the church. Yeah. He's multiplying it the way that he wants it to grow. And even though we know that many of the believers had to go into hiding, many of them had to flee, 
there were many different scenarios for Afghan believers. But just the fact that we're talking about believers running and hiding is a miracle. Yeah. Because 20 years ago, 18 years ago, when I was there, the Afghan leadership, the Taliban, wouldn't even acknowledge that a Christian existed mm-hmm. in the country. So now, you know, now they're saying, well, we got to, we have to find these infidels and kill them and wherever they're hiding, we're going to go look for them and get them. Well, now they're acknowledging that believers exist in the country. So that shows progress. It, it might not sound like the progress we would like to hear about, but the kingdom of God is advancing. Yeah. I remember many years ago, I was working with a dear brother there. I won't mention his name. And uh, we were talking about discipling the uh, underground church. And we were had many discussions. Who would we bring in? How would we do this? And we thought about maybe somebody from the West to come in. And we have incredible teachings in the West on persecution. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, The Afghan church knows very well that the American church or the Canadian church has not gone through persecution. So uh, through prayer, we were able to bring in a brother who was from a persecuted nation who had experienced persecution. And when he came to live among these people, the Afghans recognized, yes, we know that this brother has gone through the fire. Right, And so uh, because of his experiences of being persecuted, living in persecution, they would listen to what he has to say and how they could grow as a church in the underground. And to my knowledge, that same brother continues to do the work even today, even after the takeover or takeover, the recent takeover of the Taliban. He is still there working with the underground believers. Uh, so for me, that's yeah. that's a miracle, and it's exciting to know that even under extreme takeovers and extreme political uh, di- uh, geodynamics, that the church continues to grow and and survive. Yeah, that's the thing that we need to remember. It's uh, you know, you know, we think of numbers. Well, you know, and and even you know those that I've talked to that have connections in Afghanistan, they have no idea really how many believers are there. Uh, but I know one of the guys I talked to, he said, there's just not enough. More people need to know Jesus. And, uh, you know, and even some of the conversations uh, that uh, these Afghan uh, leaders that are living now in Canada, pastors talking to people back in Afghanistan. Uh, yes, some want to leave. They want to get out of there or they've gone to another part of the country and others are staying, saying we're staying right where we are. We're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. We're not leaving and we're not going to get fearful about this. And when our time is done, then it's done. I go, man, like what kind of faith, you know, that they have that, that we can certainly learn from. And that's one of the things that we do with the voice of the martyrs, even through this podcast is to encourage believers in Canada, America, and wherever we have opportunity to get our videos and our podcasts uh, to share the amazing faith that so many of these believers have uh, because we're inspired by them. And it, and it also helps us to, you know, be, you know, focused about sharing the message of Jesus, even in, you know, climates like ours, where it's not as difficult. Of course, we know things are getting more and more opposed to the gospel. So we continue to share these stories so that we'll all be strong and advance the kingdom. So when we 
think of countries like Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, where Christians are such a minority, what's the most important thing that we can do to help them, uh, you know, stay strong in their faith and continue to go forward? Well, what I've learned over the years working with persecuted Christians, what can we do to help? A very interesting dynamic that many people overlook, and that's simply to listen to them, to listen to what's in their heart, and also to listen to what uh, purpose, what plan, what vision, what goals they have to reach their country. And so it's very important as we sit with these brothers and sisters to ask them, what has God shown you for your country? Mm. And then once they share their vision and their plan, their desire, their ministry goals, then we're able to take those plans, goals, visions, and bring them back and to share them with the church, to pray about those, and also to support them. You know, one of the, uh, I know Canada is very big on being very careful about not to create dependency in the church. And that's, I think that's a very crucial aspect in Christian ministry today, because many times big organizations go in and they just throw money. And I think strategically when we listen and pray and we just partner with the church and say, okay, we know that you have a car, or we know you have a donkey or a motorbike, what can we do to come alongside you and make your ministry a little more effective? Right. And maybe it might be ministry material. It might be, uh, you know, uh, just some travel cash, something like that. So we have to be very careful as we partner with these uh, ministries that we don't create dependency, but we also assist them in their greatest need of ministry. Or if there's a persecution response, a persecution event you know we sit and listen to the family and ask them how can we get them through this very uh difficult time after the event has taken place they share with us and then we do that and then i think the most amazing thing that we've heard probably over and over again is you're not like other ministries that come in and take pictures and then we never see you again mm. but you come back and you uh, raise the funds for us, and then you come back and you help us with those funds so that we can continue to move on. And I have to say, Greg, uh, I'm sorry to say over the years, we've seen way too many Christian ministries go in, take photos, make promises, and then never come back. Some do, but many times they don't. And so, but BOM has a very solid uh, history of raising the funds and then going back and continuing relationship even after the event has taken place. And those relationships are very important, especially as we partner in the nation. They can tell us about more persecution events or they can tell us how they were blessed with the funds they had and how they're advancing the gospel. So it's this uh, fellowship of suffering, this fellowship that we that we are privileged to work with these type of people. And it's a huge blessing. 
It is. And uh, yeah, there's there's so many thoughts running through my head as you've been sharing this. I know the late Glenn Penner uh, really, you know, instilled into me and to VOM Canada, this whole area of dependency. We want to be generous, absolutely. You know, so through microloans and some of those things that they can be self-supporting over time. Uh, I just think it's a beautiful way that we can do it. And then also on the partnerships. And I talked off, uh, you know, the beginning of this podcast is one of the strengths that we have as an organization with the Voice of the Martyrs is the people we work with in the country. They know the language. They know the culture. They know the needs. And so it's not you just kind of come in. And I mean, we do have those trips where we'll come in for the first time and we're trying to figure things out. And then the Lord does provide people that we meet. And it often leads to, you know, many years of partnership and friendship. It's uh, it's just the way, my opinion, the best way we do it. There is a place for uh, you know, us to go in initially. And then my role, of course, has been uh, going back and getting the stories. But what I really love to do, and I recently again in Nigeria, is to go in and actually see where the funds from Canadian Christians is going and supporting the persecuted church. And then I can report back, uh, you know, here in Canada, what's going on. And then, you know, as further needs, uh, you know, develop, then we're able to say, here's what we're doing and here's how we can help in either greater ways. And then the integrity, uh, you know, that of course, you know, with the Canadian government, we have to be so careful in how we spend our funds and give accountability, which is great. And then those, again, those relationships. So we trust it. Now, Ray, before we go, let's talk about uh, as as much as you can, because there's some security issues here where you are serving now in the Middle East. We won't say the country, but tell me a little bit about what you and your wife, Denise, are doing and uh, just the, the why you're doing it and the passion you have for it. Well, eight years ago, I was remarried after actually, yeah, eight years ago after I was remarried. I met a, a lovely, beautiful woman who had spent many years in Brazil in the Amazon region, and she had helped develop a school there. And during that time, uh, she began to work with special needs children, and she developed a real love for special needs children. After we were married, we traveled with VOM Canada to many countries. And uh, during one of our trips, we landed in the Middle East. And um, as we traveled around in the different villages, we found a, a people group uh, called the Yazidi people. Mm -hmm. And these people had been attacked by radical Islamic ISIS. They call it the Ash Dash. And the dislocated uh, or displaced 50,000 Yazidi people. And many of the men were beheaded, yeah. thousands of women were abducted and sold as sex slaves. So we ended up living in a village nearby there, near them. And um, we didn't necessarily go in response to what happened to these people because of the, the uh, political persecution they experienced. But we just realized this was a very oppressed, very... Um, a people group that had just experienced a lot of suffering as humans. And while we were there, we met with a woman who, who was working uh, with a, uh, an organization that has been there quite a while. And we asked them, is there an, a need in this region for special needs children in the work? And this woman responded, she said, it's wide open. The work is wide open. 
there is very little to none response to help special needs children. Mm. So in 2019, we moved to our village and we began to go tent to tent because many of the Yazidi people have been living in tents now for eight years. Wow. And you can imagine a family of 10 to 15 people living in a tent for eight years. Very difficult scenarios. And within that family structure, you've got little boys and girls with special needs that have no, any kind of education, any kind of developmental help. And we thought, you know, this is a place where we really could make a difference among children of a people group that have suffered more than we could even understand. So we've been there three, three years now. Um, May 30th was our, our, our third year of being there. And uh, this last week, we came back to the States for a break and to do some speaking and maybe a little bit of fishing and mm. just get some rest and meet with some of our praying donors. And uh, so we're excited to be back. Yeah, it's an amazing work that you're doing. And uh, so love the partnership that we have with the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, with you and with Denise. And, uh, and again, the friendships and some of the deepest friendships, uh, including yourself, uh, you know, we don't physically get to be with each other often, but, uh, you know, we do meet uh, in prayer meetings, uh, you know, through Zoom and other things and uh, to keep the connection and just love the passion. You're one of the people that I tell people that, sorry, <laughs> emotional, but how you've impacted my life. And, uh, and I believe in these divine appointments that, you know, that I needed to be on that trip with you and, and to see how you interacted with the people in South Sudan and Ethiopia and just how you love them and, uh, and, and care for them. So it's just been a beautiful thing and, and a relationship that uh, we pray that will continue on for many, many more years. So Ray, before we leave, uh, can you pray? Um, just however the Lord leads, you know, certainly won't want to pray for the persecuted church. That's why we do closer to the fire, uh, you know, as, as the Holy Spirit is leading you. And again, I would just encourage you, you're listening or watching is to go to vomcanada.com. Uh, many videos that we have there, many stories, and this isn't to promote a ministry, because uh, we know that when we leave this earth, the voice of the martyrs will be gone. Uh, but uh, until Jesus returns or, you know, as we just, you know, see where God is leading in the future, but uh, is to hear the stories. And so we can pray according to the knowledge that the Lord gives us again, seeing the photos, hearing the stories uh, so that again, we lift up our brothers and sisters in prayer. And, you know, Ray, as much as I do that, uh, you know, as we ask believers, what's the most important thing we can do? And they will say, please pray for us. And then the Holy Spirit leads us. So brother, can you lead us in prayer? I would love to, Greg. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence mm -hmm. and together as friends, as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we worship you, O God, the living creator through the Lord Jesus. His name is Yeshua. Yes. And Lord, we know that uh, tumultuous times are coming on earth. And we know that the coming of Jesus is very soon. Mm -hmm. We don't know the day or the hour, but I'm thankful, Lord, that you call each and every one of us into your kingdom. You've written your, our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are sealed forever. And Lord, I thank you that you give us the great privilege to meet brothers and sisters around the world who are standing for you, who have 
faith that is many times supernatural and sometimes it's just a simple faith. But Lord, we realize that um, wherever we are on the earth that we have family and that this family is a beautiful family. We are connected through the kingdom of God. And uh, one day, very soon, we will all be in a place called heaven. And Father, we are getting glimpses of heaven and we have some understanding of heaven. But when that day comes, I, I'm sure all of us will be completely blown away by your presence and by all of the saints that have gone before us. And Lord, I think of Revelation 6 where it says uh, uh, that you will not come until the last martyr, the last soul is martyred under the altar. And Lord, so we know that there's a number of those who will be martyred for their faith. And we pray for them that are going through the fire. And we pray for those who are going through extreme persecution. And we're also praying for those who are just have struggling, just trying to be a witness in a very uh, secular society. And so we all have our part to play, our, our, our roles to share in the kingdom. So Lord, have your way with us. Advance your kingdom according to your purposes. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us your heart for the lost and for the church around the world. And I pray in the name of Yeshua. And Greg, I'd like to finish with a, a set of verses. I'm in Mark 10, verse uh, 29 through, uh, down through. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Mm. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And I just think of this beautiful verse in, in Mark, where it says, the first things have to go away. Right. You know, mothers, fathers, everything like that. That has to be set aside for the kingdom of God. And then the second part of that is, is God's promise that we'll receive a hundred times more of what we left behind. So we shouldn't fear what we're leaving behind for the kingdom of God, yeah. for what the Lord has in store for us that faithfully um, leave behind the things that we so desperately hang on to, but yet the, receiving a hundredfold in this lifetime. And it does say, and persecutions. So it's just not the blessing of more stuff and good stuff, but also persecution. So we have to remember that uh, we can't eliminate the persecution or the suffering element in our gospel because it's very much a part of reality of we as disciples of Jesus. 
And that's a hard thing uh, for the church in the West to understand. Uh, We want the blessing, but we don't want the persecution. I don't think anybody wants to be persecuted or, you know, endure those kinds of things. But when it is for the sake of the gospel, uh, then it's worthwhile. And uh, for many of our brothers and sisters, uh, they didn't get to experience a lot of maybe the material blessing here. Uh, but if, now that they're with the Lord, many of them that have been martyred and died uh, for their faith in Jesus, they're experiencing that now. So thank you so much, Ray, for all that you have done over the ma- last number of years. And I know for the many years ahead, Lord, give you good health and give you rest this summer. And thank you for joining me on Closer to the Fire. Well, it's been a complete honor and good to see you, Brother Greg. And um, just praying for the church in Canada and we love them and uh, I've spent many years traveling throughout that country and uh, bringing gospel VOM uh, material from from the east to the west with Glenn Penner many years ago. It was a great joy just to serve in that great nation of Canada. Well, we look forward to having you back here real soon. And again, thank you, Ray. God bless you, brother. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.